Let me pray again just for a second. You know, sometimes it helps and it never hurts to pray. So we'll do that. Lord, thanks. Uh, thanks for the Wilsons, Lord. Thanks for the work that they get to be a part of. Uh, rubbing elbows, Lord, with folks at DTS that are affecting many, many lives. And just pray that you'll help them make connections that would last a lifetime and would get them in the places and among the people you mean them to be. Lord, including for this project uh, Matt's looking at coming up ahead in Greece. And we just pray your blessing on them. We pray for full support for that and just a joy in that work. And Lord, give us ears to hear the things you'd say this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I look around this morning, all of us here are dressed, we're clothed. That's a good thing. You know, there's a scripture that says the, the guy that was demonized was clothed and in his right mind. You know, we want to be both. So I know, I don't know if we're all in our right mind, but we're all clothed, right? And maybe the, the clothes we've got on this morning, Lord willing, they're clean or semi-clean, right? And probably after we got up this morning out of bed, we probably ate something or drank something. And we'll probably go to our homes or maybe we'll go to someone else's home later and probably eat some lunch, right? Yes. And, and maybe towards the end of the day, we'll crawl into a bed. We'll snuggle down under some covers. And, and that's an ordinary day, right? That's a, a day in the life. And on one hand, we, we'd be tempted to take those things for granted, right? Ordinary things. But if, if you stop and think about it, so those clothes we put on this morning, especially if they were clean, somebody had to launder them, right? Maybe even iron them, fold them, hang them up, put them in a drawer or in a closet. And, you know, the food we got, someone went to the grocery store and someone shopped, someone brought it home, someone put it in the fridge, someone prepared the meal, you know, this goes on and on, doesn't it? Those beds, somebody laundered the bedding, somebody made the bed. You know, if you're in a family, those chores usually get divvied up, don't they? That we, we try and sort of scatter the workload so that not one person is responsible to get all that done. We, we don't want that weight on any individual. But in our houses, in our families... There, is, there are very mundane jobs that are simply part of doing life, and some of those are like doing the dishes and taking out the trash. You've heard this, if you've been here any time at all from me, this is a quip that I love because I think it's so spot on and so accurate. But years ago, P.J. O'Rourke quipped that everyone wants to save the world and no one wants to help mom with the dishes. We're, we're talking about serving this morning, serving, and we're in the fifth week of a series on the church as family, and one of the things that you just cannot avoid, cannot get around, is this, that in God's family, His children are called to serve. We, as God's children, as those who carry Christ's name, we are called to serve. We are called as servants, and we serve God, and we serve each other. Every family has a host of needs that have to be met, and it's usually in the best interest of all that all members of the family share those chores so that they're all accomplished and no one is unnecessarily worn out in the doing. Sometimes, guys, the chores that we do are the mundane things like taking out the trash. If you're here on a potluck Sunday, you know, just feeding a group this size is a challenge. There's tables to wipe, things to get out, things to put away. There's meals that we provide for each other's families. 
But there's also serving in a number of other ways like simply encouraging other people with the words that we might share or asking how someone's doing or praying for them. You can see this list would go on and on. But we need both kinds of serving in God's family, in the body of Christ. We need serving that flows simply from someone saying a job needs to be done. It's not that it's hard or it's technical. Something simply needs to be accomplished. Other times, very particular kinds of work need to be accomplished. We'll talk about those later, thinking of things like we call them spiritual gifts. We need those also, but we need both. If we don't start with the mentality of servants that we're giving to serving each other in Christ's name, it's unlikely that we'll get to the additional level or plateau, if you will, of serving in our arena of spiritual gifts. But that's where we're going this morning. We'll talk about both. If you're in Christ's family, if you call Christ by name as your Savior, you are called to be a servant by definition. Hope you have a study sheet, by the way. So John 13... You know, the irony when you read the gospel accounts, especially lots of the stories in the Bible have irony, but you see this repeatedly in the gospel accounts as Jesus life is winding down and he knows he's facing the wrath of his holy father to be poured out on him as he becomes sin for us on the cross in that context, his life on earth is winding down his disciples, each of the gospel brings us up. They're talking amongst each other about who's the most important. Who's at the top of the heap among their number. And it's in that context that in John 13, Jesus goes and takes on this role that his his fellows, his friends, his disciples were uncomfortable with. So they're up there in the upper room and Jesus takes off his outer garment, wraps himself with a robe, a towel. He takes a basin of water. And then he goes around the group and he washes each of their feet. This is crazy, right? And this was uncomfortable for these guys. Peter says, please don't do that. In fact, he says, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. I'm uncomfortable with this. Why are you doing this? And Jesus says, well, I need to. And so he does. And you remember in that culture, unlike ours, if you arrived at the home of a friend and, and they were wealthy enough to have servants or slaves, common in those days, when you arrived, the lowest person on that totem pole would bring a basin of water and would wash your feet. You're wearing sandals, right? Dusty roads. You come in. This was just what a host did for a guest. You wash their feet. Their feet are clean now. They feel refreshed and they're ready to enter into fellowship with you. But it's the lowest person there who does that. It's the job no one else wants. It would be like taking out the trash or washing the dishes. So Jesus takes the form of the lowest servant that you could and He washes all of their feet. And this is what He says. John 13, verse 14. If I then, the Lord and the Teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly. This just means count on this. I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Jesus says, if I'm the master, and I am, if I serve you, you must also serve. You're not greater than me. 
if I'm willing to step down and assume the lowest role possible and wash your feet, none of you who are my followers are too great or too important to do the same thing. If we are Christians, and Christian, remember the title just means little Christs. Jesus says, I didn't come to serve, to be served, but to serve. I came as a servant. If we call ourselves by the name Christian, we are de facto identifying ourselves as servants. If we, if we say to ourselves, this could be passive or consciously, if we say or think to ourselves, I'm not a servant, I don't need to serve, we're saying we're greater than Christ. We don't say it that way in our minds, we don't think of it that way, but that's what Jesus said. If we're not greater than Jesus, then we're called to serve. And none of us here are greater than Him. Some churches still practice foot washing ceremonies. I was in one of these once. It was totally uncomfortable. It was humiliating. It was embarrassing. It's like, you know, we have shoes and socks, and I'm good with shoes and socks. And foot washing wasn't the point with Jesus, was it? It was the act of service. It's that there's no act of service that is beneath our dignity. If we think we are too important to perform the lowest service for another believer, we are throwing this example in Jesus' face. We're saying, you are wrong, Master. I'm too important for that act of service. Jesus says, I'm the greatest. I take the lowest form of service than you can too, and you must. So, you remember two or three weeks ago we talked about loyal love as the glue that holds committed relationships together. Loyal love, we said, was a family value. Serving like Jesus served is a family value also. It's a key value. And you and I take on that family image, that family trait, when we give ourselves to serve each other. This is the way Jesus talked about it in Matthew 20. Mark 10 is also a parallel passage. So it's important this is repeated. Jesus called them to Himself and He said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Their great men exercise authority over them. It's not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. So Jesus says, the church, those who are led, will follow your example. I've come to serve. I've left you this example. Your followers should see you as servants. And if they do, they'll follow the same thing. Serving in God's family in Christ's church should be a given. It's meant to be a way of life. And to name ourselves as Christians is to identify ourselves de facto as servants. When everyone in a family, and it doesn't matter the size of the family, is serving, God's honored, the work is being done, and no one's being unnecessarily worn out. You know, if you pictured a large family, and I, I picked on Kent Vincent last week, and his shoulders are so broad I'm picking on his family this week. So imagine the Vincents back in the day, if there's 11 kids at home, and let's say young Ben and Lydia, they're doing all the washing, all the cooking, all the cleaning. Kent and Christy are back sipping uh, mint juleps or something, you know, and David and Timothy are relaxing 
on the lawn or on the patio, you know, this would just be untenable, wouldn't it? We would just see poor, poor Ben and Lydia, they'd be worn out while everybody else is having a good time, you know, until everything basically falls apart. We'd say that's untenable, but that's untenable in God's family in the local church as well. It really does require all the members of the family pitching in, doing the dishes, taking out the trash for any local expression of God's family to work. Uh, Kathy and I were served in a a great way many years ago. Our kids were little, and just a coalescence of a number of things came together such that we found that we had to move from one house to another on Christmas Day. And so I borrowed a moving van from my place of employment, and we had some friends from church. I'll bet some of them are here right now this morning. This is probably, I don't know, 25 years ago or so. And, uh, you know, I dreaded the day. Christmas is going to be ruined, right? And we're going to be moving, loading up, unloading. And this is not the thing that we had pictured for ourselves or for the kids on Christmas Day. But we had so much help from our friends at church that we got moved out of one house into another. And my boss, who happened to live across the street from the house we were moving into, he and his family invited us over for Christmas supper. Not only that, but our girls were little, and some of you here are old enough to remember Cabbage Patch dolls. You couldn't buy them. The the stores sold out of these things. They were so popular, you could not find them. Somehow, the Weikerts provided Cabbage Patch dolls for our girls as well on that Christmas day. What would have been this really potentially depressing, anxious, stressful day for us becomes this Christmas of that we hold dear in memory And it was just because we were served by others in the body of Christ. That was all the difference in the world. We remember that. Our daughters remember that today. It didn't require a lot. It was some manual labor. But a bunch of folks chipped in and got it done. What a difference that was for our family. In God's family, as in any household, all of us are called to serve each other for the common good. And no job is beneath our dignity. Nothing is too low for us to accomplish. All are called to serve, guys. That's the theme there. Everybody's called to serve. If you're a Christian, you're called to serve. We are called as servants. Not only that, but if you're a Christian, you are gifted to serve specifically and particularly. This is exciting to me. Any of us can serve at something that doesn't require skill, right? We show up and say simply what needs to be done. That's a great thing. It's a great place to start. But on top of that, if you're a Christian, if the Holy Spirit is in you through rebirth, through faith, then you have been given a spiritual gift by which God means for you specifically to serve his family members, the body of Christ, the church, a specific way of doing that. You know, some people would go into a church setting with a mentality that goes like this, uh, the pastor or the church staff or the elders and deacons or whatever other group you might think of. They do the church stuff. And we go and we sit and we show up. And maybe we put a check in. We help those guys go along week to week. But we show up, they do the work. You know, you can pay for a church like that. Did you know that? You can just pay for it. Just get your checkbooks out and we can put on a performance, right? We'll just hire the musicians. We'll hire the staff, right? 
But guys, you cannot get to that model in the New Testament. It does not exist. That's a good thing. So if you've got your Bible or your study sheet, go to Ephesians 4. When Paul was talking about what the church was supposed to look like and how it was supposed to function, he has a model of a very different sort. So Ephesians 4, starting at verse 11, Paul wrote, He, Christ, gave some as apostles. Christ gave some as prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers. We would say those are the leadership gifts that we normally think of of the work of the church, the leadership gifts. Why did Christ give prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers? Why did He do that? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So those leadership gifts are for the purpose that the saints would be equipped to serve. Who are the saints? That's all of us, right? That means holy ones. If you're a Christian, you're a saint. You're a holy one. To the building up of the body of Christ. How long should this occur? Leaders equip. All the members function and serve. How long does that last? Until we all, verse 13, attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Do you think God's family in Christ's church has arrived to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ on the earth yet? Maybe not. So I guess this is still going on today. Verse 15, We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. If you say, what is God's family model for any local church? The leadership gifts are merely meant to be foundational. If a church is primarily characterized by its leadership, leadership has failed. Does this make sense? Leaders are foundational gifts to equip everyone else to serve. If you're part of an expression of the family of God or the church of Jesus Christ, and the whole body isn't pitching in, the body's not acting like God's family or Christ's church. We've missed the mark. We've missed the model. The gifts and roles that we usually think of as doing most of the work should be the exception. They're not the rule. They're the minority. They're to provide everyone that ability to see how God has called them to work and implement that into the life of the church. I've said this before. If, uh, if you graded a church, uh, the leadership group on the church, one of the keys should be it's not how... It's not how great the musical quality is. It's not how fantastic the preaching is. It's not how impressive the building is. One of the key criteria for any church should be how fully do the members of the church buy into serving? Because if the foundational gifts are meant to equip the rest of the church, then that should be one of those key lines on our grade card, our report card. If leaders aren't equipping the rest of the church, they're not leading the way they're called to. That lion and lamb or any other expression of God's family. Listen to the way Peter refers to this in 1 Peter 4. 
Peter makes a short version of this. Somewhere on your study sheet too, by the way, you've got a list of the passages that deal with spiritual gifts. This is a huge topic and we're just referring to it this morning related to the greater call of serving. But one of the ways we serve is through our spiritual gifts. So it's something we need to be aware of. Peter talks about spiritual gifts this way in 1 Peter 4. He says, as each one. And you notice Paul and Peter's language both say each one, each joint, each person. Everyone has a gift. As each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That term special gift, I'm reading, by the way, from the New American Standard. Uh, The Greek word there is charisma. Charisma. You know, if you've been around the church at all or if you've read or whatever, when we talk about charismatic gifts, charismatic gifts, it's as if some spiritual gifts are charismatic and others are not. And this is a non-starter. If you have a spiritual gift, this special gift, Peter says in verse 10, you have by definition a charismatic gift. It's a charism And we get the word charity from that word. It's grace. It's a gift God has graciously given to you so that you can graciously serve the church. So every Christian has a spiritual gift. It's a charismatic gift. It's a charisma. And we are to employ it in serving one another as good stewards. Now, do you know when Peter says that we are to treat those gifts as a steward, do you know what that means? It means when you see Christ, you'll give an account for the use of the gift He gave you. You know, we talk about accountability as Christians, and we'll all stand before Christ one day and He'll judge the works of our life, not whether we're going to heaven or hell. We've passed out of judgment into life if we trusted Christ. But He judges the works of our life. And we say, well, He'll judge us for things like uh, the use of our money. We're stewards of our finances, right? Yes, we are. And And He'll judge us for the use of our time, right? Yes, we're stewards of the time He's given us. And one of the other things that He'll judge us for, how did you do, Mike, is the use of our spiritual gift. You're a steward of the gift. We do not want to be those servants who stand before Jesus and say, we knew you're hard, we took that gift you gave us and we buried it. We're going to give an account for the spiritual gift God has given us. We steward them. We're meant to use them in a way that pleases Christ. He says, verse 11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Peter doesn't make a lengthy list of the spiritual gifts like Paul does in Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. He just sort of breaks them up between speaking and serving. But he makes it simple. He says if you're speaking, if yours is a speaking gift, you should treat that with the seriousness as if God Himself is speaking through you. You're that thoughtful with your spiritual gift. He says whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So I might, <clears throat> I might be at a time in my life in which I feel physically worn down or emotionally spent. Peter says that's okay. When you serve, if you have a serving gift, understand that it's the Spirit's work, energy at work through you. So when you serve, understand that it's God's power at work through you. You don't have to be all fit and up for the job. 
but commit to the work and understand that it's God's Spirit that will be at work through you. He concludes, do those things so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Because when we serve, whether we serve at all or we serve in our uh, spiritual gift, God is glorified. So everyone's received a grace gift from God. We're going to give an account for it. And that means all these gifts are needed. We need people to serve in the church generally. Everyone can serve. And then we need people to serve in the church specifically in the area in which God has gifted them. And you've got to wonder, in any given expression of God's family, any local church, what would the church look like? What would the family vitality look like if every person was not only given and committed to serving generally, but was serving in those specific areas God had equipped them to serve? What might the church family look like? It would be be semi-revolutionary at least, wouldn't it? It'd be like the early church. It'd be like the early church. The third point on your study sheet there is varieties of service. Uh, oftentimes, when we consider the ways we might feel we can particularly serve, we tend to underestimate them if they don't look like other people's spiritual gifts. So we might say, uh, someone who has a speaking gift, they're important, and what I have to do isn't that important. But you know the truth is, that God's family members in Christ's church need all kinds of varieties of service and spiritual gifts to be at work, just as every family has a variety of needs that need to be met. I'm thinking of acts of service. This church is blessed with lots of people who would tell you they're gifted to serve. Their area of gift is serving, and that's a good thing. There's all kinds of areas in the life of the church in which we just need folks that will show up and serve. Think of here on Sunday mornings, they're set up and take down. There's donuts, fruit and coffee. They're set up. There's cleaning afterwards. There's meals to family. This Lots of families provide meals to other families in times of need. You know, when we move to a new church home, a physical facility soon, there will be new acts of service that just need to take place just as a course of life. There will be a building to take care of and sweep and clean, things like that. Prayer is one of the uh, arenas of service, I think, that we tend to take for granted as well or minimize. Um, there's a gal, a group of gals in this church that have met for prayer most Tuesday nights. Uh, oh, gosh, I don't know, maybe 15 years, long time. You know, hard to say what God has worked through because of their participation in serving simply through praying for the church. We put out a prayer calendar monthly for the church because we think it's important and serving each other through prayer is one of the key ways we can support and encourage each other there may be all kinds of things we might say based on our schedule or some other kind of limitations we can't do all of us can pray for others we can serve each other through prayer uh, giving it should be a norm that we give to the church, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We support the ministries of the church and the ministries that the church supports also simply through material financial giving. When I was a young guy in high school, my dad made this really simple for me. I can still remember it like yesterday. 
My dad was my size, and when he spoke to me, he, he, had, a, he had, what would I say, his presence. It was uh, impressive. My, he could put on a very serious countenance, and so when we got close and he was serious, I, I knew it, and I showed a little bit more respect than normal. But I was in high school, and I was gainfully employed, and my dad came up to me in the third-floor bedroom, and he stood almost toe-to-toe, and he said, Son, this is the way this works. You give God the first 10%. You give me the next 10%. And then you save and you live on what's left. See, it was a given because I was a member of the family and I was gainfully employed, I would contribute to the welfare of the family because I could. Just like I would with, we took rotations. Like the Vincents, I'm from a family of, of 11 kids. We took turns on who set tables, who took out trash, who did dishes, you know, weekly rotations. You had to. Everybody had to pitch in, and we should be doing that materially and financially as well. Speech. Everybody needs brothers and sisters who will speak the truth in love to them. You don't have to have a spiritual gift in the speaking realm to encourage others through what you say. We can at least encourage each other through what we say. Kindness expressed verbally to others is no small thing. All of us need encouragement. Sometimes we need exhortation i'm personally encouraged here most weeks there's a little girl that knows i'm the father of four daughters none of whom live in topeka and she will routinely find me out in this group you know she's this tall so she's got to look through the legs and the bodies to find mike and she comes up and gives me a big hug that's one of my key encouragements for the week that's her way of blessing me so whatever our abilities or gifts Those are all needed. There's no gift that's to be despised. There's no act of service that we should think is beneath us or is unnecessary. I want to mention something else about serving that I think is understated and more often than not overlooked. Uh, There's a movie from 1981. Probably half of you in here wouldn't remember. It's too long ago. You know you're getting older when you say to somebody, you know that movie back then? They're like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. This is probably one of those. So the movie Chariots of Fire in 1981 told the story of the flying Scotsman, Eric Little. He was really fast. He was a committed Christian. He was going to give his life as a missionary in China, which he did. But along the way, he was competing for England in the 1924 Paris Olympics. His story is famous because he was committed not to working, running on the Sabbath, so he pulled himself out of the 100 meters and ran the 400 meters instead. But the movie did a great job of showing along the way his sister, who's of a more serious bent of mind than Eric was, or saw things in a way he didn't, she was sort of getting on him, saying, "You're, you're called to be a missionary, so why are you wasting your time? You're diverting your energies from the primary area God wants you to serve as a missionary. And so Eric Little said this, I believe God made me for a purpose, but He also made me fast, and when I run, I feel His pleasure. Guys, this is the thing. This is what you'll find if you give yourself to serve others. There is a pleasure to be had in service that you will not find doing anything else. There's a pleasure in serving that you will not find in any other arena. One, simply if you serve and simply if you know you're you're helping somebody else, you're just there for them, you will feel blessed. There's a wholesome sense to feeling when I've just helped someone else just to help them, just to serve them. 
But there's also this sense, especially if you add spiritual gifts into the mix, in which when you're doing what you're made to do, and as Christians we're made to serve, and then on top of that we're made to serve in some specific ways. When you're doing what you're made to do, just like Eric Little, you will find there's a joy, there's a sense of blessing to be had through serving that you won't get in any other way. People talk about runner's high or people who exercise regularly. You get all the happy chemicals in your brain. You know you feel good. Well, there's a feeling, there's a wholesome feeling that comes simply because we serve others because we're doing what we're made to do. And you won't get it any other way. Jesus said this in John 17 or 13, 17. And remember, he's referring to serving. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. You're blessed if you do them. Sometimes we treat that word blessed. It's a religious term and it loses all value. So take it off the religious term vocabulary. And when you say blessed, this is the same term used in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Take it out of the church context. Take it out of the religious lingo. Say something like you'll be happy. You'll be satisfied. You'll have a sense of contentment. You'll have joy when you do these things, Jesus said. So for Christians, if you find that you often are unhappy, you feel unblessed, less than joyful, if you give yourself to serve others, more often than not, you'll find what Jesus said is true. You'll come away with a sense of blessing. You'll feel joy. You'll have peace. You'll have a sense of contentment that only comes from serving. If you... Say to yourself this morning, I'm here, I don't serve. Um, If we go through and if we ask ourselves the questions, why don't I serve or why don't you serve or why don't they serve? There might be more reasons than this, but I think these are the top three. Why don't we serve? Uh, I don't realize I'm called and equipped to serve. I don't realize that's a responsibility God's given me and if that's our feeling is still after this morning i'd say if we read our bible we read the gospels if we read the epistles we'll see that serving is simply part of the call being in god's family we're in god's family we serve it's a given we call ourselves christian we're little christ christ served we serve it's a given we have to have a vision for that that as christians we are called to serve so just read our new testament meditate on those passages john 13 is a great place to start but it won't be the last And we'll come to understand that God has called us as members of his family to serve. It's a given. There's another reason that follows that one that goes something like this. I'm not needed. I'm not important enough or my gift isn't important enough to be missed. My gift isn't important enough to be missed. What I have to contribute to the need of others, to God's family, to the church of Jesus, isn't so significant that it will be missed. Now think through this for just a minute. Go back to Ephesians 4 or read through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Who gives the gifts? God gives the gifts. God gives the gifts. And who does he give them to? Each one. Everyone. So God gives the gifts, gives at least a gift to everyone. So we're saying that the God of all wisdom and knowledge, the God who knows the end from the beginning, the God who knows and wove us together in our mother's womb. Do you see where this goes? The God who knows everything that can be known, who has all wisdom, has given you a specific gift 
and you say to God, my gift is unnecessary, what are you really saying? I'm wiser than God. I know more than God. I don't think that's the case for any of us. So if we find that we're tempted with that thought that says, what I have to offer isn't important enough to be missed, we're saying that God is less than wise, less than good, less than thoughtful. I don't think that's what we mean to say. We can't get there. If you're a Christian, you've got a gift. If you have a gift, it's because God gave it to you. It must be needed. It must be. This is why I say, what would the church look like if all of us operated both as servants and as servants aware of what our gifts are in those areas of gift and ability? What would that look like? It'd be crazy. It'd be good. It can be good. It would be great. Another thing and the last thing, by the way, before I forget, usually in classes I've done in the past, Sunday school classes and groups, and if you say how many people here know what their spiritual gifts are, it's always less than half. It's usually the 80-20 principle. About 20% of the people know how they're gifted. You can get spiritual gift inventory tests online. There's, there's rashes of, of options. You can, you can walk through a process, and again, we're not able to develop this this morning, but you can walk through a process of reading the Scriptures, taking a test if you want, interacting with those brothers and sisters in Christ that know you well, and you'll find out, you know what, I think these are the areas God has gifted me to serve. So if you don't know what those areas are, you can find out, and you should find out. Okay, we're not pursuing that this morning, but you should. So the third reason that some of us don't serve or don't serve at times is simply pride. I know this would never be true of anyone in this room, myself included. In which we say, I don't serve because God isn't important enough for me to obey. Or God's not important enough for me to obey today. Maybe another time, Lord, when I'm feeling a little better or a little more up. Or others aren't important enough for me to serve. This could go either way. God's not important enough to obey. Others aren't important enough for me to serve. So my mentality might go something like this. I'm part of a church so I can be encouraged. I'm here so others can serve me. Did you know, <laughs> we've said this before, did you know you exist for me? You're here for me. And I so appreciate you for that. And you know, maybe others of us, said, did, you know, we'll sit in our chair and everyone else is here for me. That guy, the worship group, they're all here for me. Isn't that great? The universe centers around me and my life. That is so cool. Not, you know. We don't tell ourselves we're proud, right? We're just proud anyway. But if we find we're not serving, guys, one of the key reasons is pride. Whether we label it that or not. God, yeah, I heard what you said, Jesus, in John 13. I don't think you meant it for me. Or Lord, if you knew what my brothers and sisters in Christ are like in this church, they're slobs. They leave their laundry on the floor. They don't know how to cook. They don't do the dishes. They don't. You wouldn't serve them either. You know. So God's not important enough to obey, or others are not important enough for us to serve. But this all gets down to pride. The call is there. The gift is there. This gets down to pride. Whatever group we're in, whatever the local expression of the family of God looks like to us or not. John thirteen fourteen again. If I then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. You also ought to take the form of the lowest servant and be willing to do anything for any other member of the body of Christ. 
I think I've told the story before, but it was so touching. I remember, I hope I don't cry as I talk about it this morning. We ran a call once as a firefighter in the city of Topeka. And there's an old woman. She is so sick and lying in bed. She is pathetically sick. As soon as you see her, you know this woman's not long for this world. And uh, she's not able to control her bowels. And when we went into her bedroom, the, the smell was overpowering. And so here are three strapping big firefighters like yours truly. Here are two more guys off the paramedics off the ambulance. They're gowned up from head to toe, right? Because we're not going to get contaminated, right? Which is good. Universal precautions. We're good with that. But this woman's daughter comes in. Sorry, I won't get through it. <laughs> uh, this woman's daughter comes in, and in front of all of us, she's just wiping her mom clean. And she's saying, thank you, Jesus, while she does. <laughs> and, you know, it was, uh, I'll never forget that. There's her mom. The smell is overpowering. It's a mess. You know, here are the big strapping firefighters and ambulance guys, and we're just watching, right? We... <laughs> But there's that daughter just faithfully serving her mom. No job was too demeaning for her because she loved her mom. See, she got it. And she's thanking Jesus that she participates in serving her mom here before her mom checks out. I don't know how long her mom lived, but it wasn't long. It wasn't long. Well, see, no job is too low for us to take. Changing diapers, you know, doing the dishes, taking out the trash. It's all good. If Jesus is our master... We're good. No job is too small. Let me close. Uh, I've had a good week. I got to meet with uh, the elders of this church Thursday morning. We met, uh, Kent says, oh, dark 30. We were at 5.30 a.m. at the Vincent home. Our meeting started and the guys were done by about 7.15, 7.30, off and on their way to work. Uh, that group and the deacons met Saturday morning at Lion and Lamb West from 7 to after 10 to talk about serving the needs of the church. And then we'll do that again uh, another two weeks. Um, for sitting in this gym this morning, do you know someone's already, actually multiple people have served you already this morning if you're sitting here, right? Because the crew, a guy got, got here early, they set out the chairs and the information table and somebody got the table out, made the coffee, the Brants brought the bananas and the donuts, and the tech team got here early and set things up for us. The worship team got here early and set things up for us. The nursery was open for us. There's a guy in the hall, I assume, down the way, checking to make sure that we're secure and all that. Every week these things go on. Somebody, somebody's serving us. Somebody's. Every week. Every week. We've already been served. Each member of a family Contributing something to the common good is not a penalty and it's not extra credit. It's the minimum. And guys, this is the thing. Serving is what members of God's family do. Servants, that's what we are. Serving is what we do as members of God's family. Jesus said this in Luke 17. He told His friends, His disciples, guys, you got to forgive. And if somebody says, Seven times in a day, I'm so sorry, forgive me. You've got to forgive them. Now, they're astounded by this. They say, Lord, increase our faith. You know what that means? How can I forgive somebody seven times in a day? It's impossible. It's too high a standard. Lord, increase my faith. 
And Jesus tells a little story and he says, you know what, if a servant's been out working all day in the yard, he comes into the household, he serves his master's supper. He doesn't sit down and eat his dinner. He, he changes, he washes, he serves his master's supper. And Jesus says the master doesn't even thank him. He said this, When you do all the things which are commanded, you say we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Guys, for many of us, we think serving is extra credit. It's a given. If we look at our life and say, I am not characterized as a servant, I don't serve, think again. It's not extra credit. It's not the extra mile. It should be a given for members of God's family. We are servants and we serve. When each of us makes serving others in God's household our priority, when we serve in those unique ways God has gifted us, we gain the joy of participation, the church grows to maturity, and God is glorified. That's the deal. Doing the dishes, taking out the trash, serving others is Jesus made known on the earth. That's what we're called to do. If you want to serve, but you're not sure how, take your bulletin, write your name, your contact information, and put serve on the bottom. Tear off that tab, leave it at the information desk at the end of service, okay? By the way, in saying this stuff this morning, reminding us what family members in God's family do, this church has tons of people who are given to serve. I, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here this morning. This church has tons of people. We have a great history. There's been a great ethos in this church from its inception of people giving themselves to serve others. I hope you don't feel banged over the head this morning. This is a church that has given itself historically to serving. And I just say that's great. And we need more of the same going forward. Father, would you help us to take on the family image to look like members of your family by taking up Jesus' call and your gifting to serve or to, to choose to be servants. Lord, that no job is beneath our dignity because Jesus, God the Son, has come from heaven. He's dirtied his hands for us. He's become sin on the cross for us, Lord. We can certainly turn around and serve each other in His name and for His glory. Amen.